Morning. Good to see you guys today. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat, all right? Thanks for coming out today in the snow. Thanks for coming out for the first day of uh, our Christmas season here at Fellowship of Faith. We had a, a whole crew of people out here yesterday morning that helped just get all this decoration together and stuff like that. I mean, they just did a great job. Could we just give it up for them maybe really quick? And uh, Yeah, thanks, guys. I mean, it just really, really looks Good. Uh, my name is David Gadini. If you're new here today, I'm the pastor here on staff. And uh, what I'd like to do is a little bit of just deeper introduction this morning. Um, maybe even many of you who have been here for some time don't realize, but I grew up in two homes. I grew up in a sacred home and I grew up in a secular home, if you'd allow me maybe to use that kind of terminology. My mother was a is a very devout Christian. My father was raised Roman Catholic, did Catholic school all the way even through undergrad at Loyola. So um, 16 years of Catholic education and ran kicking and screaming from it at some point in his late childhood and then ran from it literally um, after that. And while he would maybe have called himself by heritage, Catholic, the reality he was secular humanist, um, agnostic, functionally an atheist for at least most of my childhood. Now, my parents divorced when I was two years old, and so I grew up in two very different worlds. I grew up in my mom's world, and I grew up in my dad's world. And with that came two very different ways of looking at reality. I grew up with my mom's worldview, and I grew up with my dad's worldview. And it was interesting because things that were so self-evident to my mom were completely laughable or foolish to my dad. Things that were so self-evident to my dad were likewise so completely foolish or wrong to my mom. And it was amazing for me to see how both people could be so convinced about what reality actually is as though that would be the most normal way of thinking. I suspect some of you had the same experience. Maybe the circumstances came about in a different way. But there's one group of family who believes this. And to them, their beliefs make all the sense in the world. And there's another group of your family who believes that. And what that group believes just feels so like, how can you believe that? Maybe for you, it's friend circles. When you're around this group of friends, these kinds of ideas and beliefs come out very naturally, right? But when you're around this group of friends, hmm, suddenly... What they seem to say seems persuasive instead. Maybe it's more internal. Maybe within you there's a certain sense of tension or, or contradiction even, if you will, that depending on the mood that you're in, the time of day, the season of life, the circumstances of life at hand, certain beliefs can seem just so well-believable. Or true. 
But at other times, you question why you believe that to begin with, and you find yourself vacillating in that. I'll tell you, if you find yourself in that plane, you're very, uh, place, you're very normal. You're not alone. This is a journey that most people go through. This is a circumstance or reality most people find themselves in. But it highlights something that I want to highlight with you today, that what is normal to one is often weird to another. And what is normal to them is, in contrast, often weird to those who have the weird ideas that those people think. Are you with me on this? Christianity is loaded with weird ideas. Now, if you grew up Christian, they don't feel very weird. If you've been inculcated with a Christian worldview and and brought to churches and Sunday schools and things like that since you were very young, it probably doesn't feel weird at all. But let me caution you that just because it doesn't feel weird to you doesn't make it objectively normal. Because what feels so normal to you can be absolutely weird to someone who did not share that same background, that same history, or that same set of life experiences. Now, for those of you who are in this room who aren't Christian, I'd like to challenge you in the exact same way. That what you think of as being totally normal, the beliefs that you buy into from whatever system of thought that you've adopted them from or however you formulated them internally, what seems normal to you does not make it objectively normal either. There are a whole other swath of people who look at that and go, that is very strange. Now, all this school year, we are looking at the foundations of the Christian faith. And we've started this past fall by looking at the Christian way of life, a different way of life that Jesus calls us to against our own inclinations and against many of the patterns that exist in various cultures and various times and places. And we called it different life. And we used the Ten Commandments as a guide, if you will, to that foundational different way of living. What I would like to do with you this December and stretching into the winter is shift more into the worldview. How did Jesus look at the world? What did he believe about reality? Not just about right and wrong, but about what exists, why it exists, the significance of how it exists, where it's going, who God is, who we are, what life is all about. The basic foundational important questions, would you agree? What we're going to be doing is looking at Jesus' way of looking at reality. What were his ideas? And I submit to you today that whether Christian or not sitting in this room, a lot of them are weird. Now, weird does not mean wrong. It just means different. Even for those of us like my dad, who were brought up in very Christian environments. When you come face to face with the teachings of Jesus, 
They can jar. They can be very strange or very weird from what we just think of as normal or have come to expect. Now, this is not to say all of them are going to strike you as weird. This is not going to say that every single thing stands in difference from the culture around us. But I challenge you to consider how seriously you are actually taking what Jesus says himself as opposed to what you have just come to assume about him. And I am firmly convinced that in that journey, at some point, there is going to be a strangeness, an oddity, or something that just feels qualitatively different. This is the journey that we're going to go on. And here's the difficulty. How do we boil it down? Because Jesus had a lot to say. And even though you can read any one of the Gospels in arguably under an hour, they are dense and rich and pregnant with meaning and based on an entire worldview that led to them. And so much of what he says is filled with nuance. How do you take the sum total of Jesus' teaching? Or if we were to expand it, how do you take the sum total of the Bible's teaching and all it has to say about God and life and reality and humanity? And how do you pare it down into a manageable, understandable, lowest common denominator kind of way. This is the challenge that's going to be before us these next few weeks. And what I'm going to use is an ancient Christian statement of faith called the Apostles' Creed. Some of you have grown up in churches where they have said them this, this statement of faith and ones like it frequently. Some of you have not, but regardless, it has stood behind Christian ways of thinking and trying to summarize major ideas, the weird ideas that Jesus taught and his early disciples bought into. It summarizes it as, I think, a helpful way to guide us here today. It's written to say what we believe. It's written to contrast with other beliefs. And I'd like to just start sampling from that here this morning. Now, I'm going to put on the screen the opening statement. One sentence. This old Christian statement of faith. It's divided into three parts. And part one is one sentence. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. For those early Christians, this seemed foundational. This seemed to have to be some of the meat that was in the foundations of how they viewed life, the universe, and reality. Now, for many of us, I suspect, sitting here today, a statement like this doesn't feel weird, as all, weird at all. It can feel as normal and natural as can be. But for many people, even if it's a statement that's familiar, it's a statement that isn't believable. For many people, and maybe you're here today, like many of my family who just simply say this, this is all there is. 
And to believe in a higher power, to believe in a transcendent reality, to believe in a deeper purpose behind what I experience or the meaning that I bring to life is at best interesting and at worst a delusional fairy tale. It's a weird idea. And it was a weird idea in Jesus' day too. Now off the bat, I should mention something. These things are called creeds. And they're called creeds because in Latin, the word credo is how it begins. I believe. Credo just means I believe. It is a statement of saying, this is what I believe. And they said this, I believe that there is more than meets the eye. I believe that there is a higher power, a transcendent reality. Again, maybe not too weird, but their understanding of it just might be. I have found that what's normal in one place in time is often very weird in another. Have you ever looked at what people believed 300 years ago? 500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, and gone, how do you believe something like that? Well, it's kind of easy. Because if that's what everyone else around you believes, that what everyone else around you teaches is true, if that's what everyone else inculcates in you, it becomes very normal and natural to believe the same too. The early nascent Christian movement, along with the Jews who were before them, were in many ways a minority. The fact that it's very normative today shouldn't deceive us into thinking that it was normal in their day. It wasn't. You know, back in Jesus' day, there were some prevailing beliefs. And I think it might be helpful to just share a few of these with you. Jesus was born into what is called a pagan environment. And paganism is a belief system that's marked by the idea that while there are higher power... There are many of them, many gods. People looked around. They saw forces at work in the universe, things that they couldn't explain. And they knew there had to be something behind this, some greater force or power at work. And so just like we look at relationships, people, governments, and culture, with many forces and powers at work, they speculated that there must be the same going on in reality too. So that if the wind blows, there must be a higher power behind the wind. If the sun shines, there must be a higher power behind the sun. If people die, there must be a higher power behind that too. And they went chasing after these higher powers, often with fear in their heart, hoping to placate them, win their favor, or buy them off. It's kind of a weird idea, isn't it? Unless you're brought up in it. And then it can seem as normal as can be. But these early Christians following Jesus said, no, 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 here's what I believe. I believe that there is a higher power. But rather than all kinds of higher powers, I believe that there is one. I believe in God. Not the gods. 
but God. Now, as happens in every day and age, there are those who take a more critical eye to the beliefs of their day. And the same was certainly true in Jesus' day too. Let me give you a brief tour. There was a group called the Epicureans. It was a prevailing belief system of the day. I won't get into all the details with you. And they went something like this. You know, we look at the world and maybe the gods exist. Maybe they don't. But they really don't seem to be involved in a whole lot. So if they did exist, and if they do exist, they're off doing their own thing and we're off doing ours. And the things that happen in this world are the result of atoms. This is not a new idea. This is an ancient Greek idea, that the universe is made up of atoms, and these atoms are acting randomly. Maybe sometimes intentionally, we're not sure, but they seem to be acting by a pattern of their own, and the stuff that we experience in life, the stuff that exists in life, the stuff that we interact with in life, the reason stuff goes down is because of what is going on in a minute atomic level. That's what's driving the world. And because we don't know what's going on, simply do this. Just try to live a good life, an enjoyable life, a happy life. Make the most of life because the gods don't seem to exist and the reality is after you die, you just go back to atoms too. Is this belief system sounding familiar? Most people don't call it Epicureanism these days, but it's prevalent. And maybe that's how you approach life. But there were others, and they were called the Stoics. It gets kind of a wrong connotation when we think of what it means. There's a God. We think there's a God. But we think this whole thing, it's just one. That we're all connected. That if there is a God, he is completely enmeshed. And that there's really just expressions of the great one in this universe. And that anything we see, anything we experience, anything we are, anything that we exist is nothing more than a reflection, a piece, or a manifestation of a great oneness that constitutes the universe. And so, much like a pantheist today, or a monist if you want to be particular. Similar to Hindu thought today, and we can get deeper in other ways. They would say there's a God, but it all comes down to how you kind of interpret it. Because if there's a God, sure, that might exist, but this is God too. And so is this. And so are you, because we are all one together. A very normal, common way of thinking in Jesus' day. Now, there were more. There were those who were brought up in the pagan religions, but came to think about them in a more critical, academic kind of way. They would gather together in schools. We'll literally call themselves people of the academy, the academics. And they approached life like this, reality like this, going, you know, when you get down to it, you can never quite be sure. Would you agree? At some level, is there ever absolute certainty? How can we be certain if the Epicureans have it right? How can we be sure if the Stoics have it right? How can we be certain of what we believe? And so they would examine. They would reason. They would argue. They would work their way through. But they would hedge their bets. 
They wouldn't buy into any belief system too strongly, but they would seek to draw wisdom and meaning as it made sense to them in a logical sort of way from them all. They saw value in organized religion and sought to draw the best out of the pagan ways, but saw value in the Epicureans and the Stoics as well. Now, I'll share just a couple more or just one more with you today. Then there were the cynics. And the cynics were your natural-born rebels. The cynics were the ones who liked to be contrarian, I think, for contrarian sake. They liked to argue. They liked to point holes in your belief. They liked to challenge you and make you look and feel a little bit dumb by it. And truth be told, I don't think they wanted anyone telling them what to do either. And so they just lived their own way. We reject it all. We don't believe in any of this nonsense. I'm going to do my own thing. They were marked by living the simple life, stripping away from the cultural constructs, stepping away from the values of the society in their day, living simply with barely nothing, trying to get what they could from other people. They were called cynics, by the way, because the word cynic means dog in Greek. Like stray dogs that would just come prowling around the margins. Now for me, I was never permitted to grow up as a child Simply going, well, that's what I believe. Why do you believe it? Because it sounds right. Because my mom says it's right. I was never permitted that crutch or luxury, depending on how you look at it. From very early on, I had to learn about different belief systems and about my own, about why I believe what I believe, the strengths to it, the weaknesses in my understanding of it, the questions it sought to answer. Now, I don't mean to project my journey on you. Maybe that's not how you're wired. Maybe that's not your life experience. Maybe that's not the world you were forced into. Maybe you were brought to a place where it's like, ah, that's what I believe and that's good enough for me and you get on with your life and see what's on TV. I don't have much to say to you today except hang in there. And I don't mean that mocking. What I want to do is speak to a different cross-section in this room instead. People for whom a simple answer wouldn't be enough but needed a reason why needed to formulate, needed to understand the distinctions, needed to process. Now, this is a lifelong endeavor, to be sure, and something far beyond what can take place in 20 to 30 minutes on a stage, and I'm not going to be insulting enough to assume that that's going to be what we do today or solve all the issues. But, as I've been saying, 
I'm looking to open the conversation because what I have found that people have believed once upon a time often manifests itself in what people believe today. And the struggles that people have in their beliefs today have often been similar struggles that people have had throughout history, which means that those who have gone the way of Jesus actually have something very important to say. Because the weird ideas of Jesus' day are oftentimes the weird ideas of today from a Christian perspective. And the normal ideas of Jesus' day are often the normal ideas of today from a different perspective. Jesus comes into this with all kinds of beliefs about life and reality. And what he said is this, there is one God, but more than simply a higher power, more than simply an impersonal reality, he is a father. He's like a dad. He's someone who's knowable, sentient, with personality. Not like gravity, not like the force, but more like you and me. It's interesting to me that of all the things that Jesus can call God in heaven, his most frequent phrase or word is father or dad. And that this God is almighty. He's all-powerful. He is not limited. It might seem as normal as can be, but it cuts across a swath of beliefs then and now. I, I remember reading When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Kushner. It's an older title. And by older, I mean in my lifetime, but earlier within it. With a rabbi reflecting on the terminal disease striking his young child, and trying to figure out a God who is supposedly all good, all powerful, all knowing, could allow something like this to occur. Have you ever wrestled with that one? You're not alone. And it should reveal something to you. This is not just an academic exercise. The answer to these fundamental questions about the ideas of life have teeth. And they have implication for how you view the day-to-day -day in all of reality. Rabbi Kushner's conclusion was this. We know that God is good. But God must not be all-powerful. Otherwise, he could not let something like this happen. Makes a lot of logical sense. But Jesus said, I just don't see it that way. It's just not true. And in a very weird posture, he claimed that an all-good, all-powerful God could somehow allow suffering too, that God is almighty. And Christians, as they would give their lives in martyrdom, clung to this idea. And it gets even weirder that he is the maker of heaven and earth. 
that this life we live in is no accident, that it didn't come around by random chance, that there are forces at work behind it, knowable, personable forces who created that in which we live. Now, all of these can be dug into far more. But I want to leave it at this point today of just simply saying that for some of us, these ideas can seem as normal as can be. But for many of us, downright weird. But it's what Jesus invites us to see and how he asks us to view reality. And for early believers, and I think for us today, it's had all sorts of implications. I won't go through them all, but I'm going to slap up here just a few. Because if there is a God, and he is like a father, and he is almighty, and he is the creator of all things, this starts to imply some things. And early believers saw this. It starts to imply a certain sense of dependency. That I'm only here because of him. And I need this guy for the life that I live. It started to imply that any kind of life that views itself as completely self-sufficient is somehow misguided. That all of us in our frail mortality are dependent on God. It implied more. For these early believers, it implied meaning and purpose. That there is a meaning to this world that goes beyond sheer luck and random chance. That there is a purpose to my life that goes beyond simply what I try to make of it. But there are deeper transcendent realities at play that are interwoven into my existence that speak into why I exist in the first place. And it implied this. There's something intimate. That God wants to know you and to be known by you. This is where the idea of personal relationship, which seems like the most normal phrase in Christian circles today, has stemmed from. That God is knowable and that God wants you and wants to do life with you. Unlike the Epicureans who say he might be a million, billion, trillion miles away, that God is near. That God is here. That he is separate from us, but wants to be with you. And in that, to have some kind of connection with you that speaks into the deeper needs of life. And for these early believers, it meant this. There's house rules that we didn't make the place. We don't manage the place. God does. And like a dad with his children, expects us to follow a certain way of living in his house. One of the earliest memories of going over to my dad's, because I would live at home with my mom on the week but go to his house on the weekends. Was sitting down for lunch as a four-year-old child. 
And my grandma was there. She lived there with my dad and she made me a sandwich. And it had the crusts on it. And I remember saying this as vividly as can be, Grandma, I don't like the crusts. And I'll never forget her answer. In this house, we eat the crusts. <laughs> and I was timid and I was afraid and I obeyed. <laughs> God has house rules. There might be other universes out there you can go and find if you don't like them, but if God's running this house, it's his shop. And early Christians understood this. They understood that if God is fundamentally the creator of this universe and the creator of me, and like an artist who has painted a picture or an engineer who has designed a plan, knows it intimately, knows better how it works, know every single brushstroke or screw, if I can put it that way, of how it's designed, he knows how the universe operates best. And with that, he has set up house rules for its best functioning that he asks us to abide by. The scriptures are filled with examples of these beliefs, more than I can even list. The scriptures are filled with examples of these implications, more than I care to list. But I simply leave you with this, a reflection from one simple psalm that captures it. This poet cries out, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, well, even then the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me you are, O God. How precious to me are your thoughts. How vast the sum of them were I to count them. They would outnumber the grains of sand on the sea. When I awake, 
I am still with you. It's a simple reflection, and I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And this is an invitation from God to you. An invitation to see reality God's way. Jesus' way. To dare to consider that what he might say is actually true. To dare to consider that his view of reality will shape things for you. I'm going to leave it there today. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And I'm going to invite you to rise as they do. We sampled that first little bit of this Apostles' Creed this morning. (laughs) Trying to take one sentence that reflects so much nuance and insight and compress it into a short little time this morning. But I thought we could put the whole creed up there today. It's something to familiarize yourself with. And if you believe it, something to say. So I'll invite you to, if you'd like, make it your statement of faith with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting. Amen.